Hello, we had to get our foreign exchange student to get the translators on. We got a special edition today. I am Amanda Baylor, your host Patrick Baylor's dog. And I'm Atticus Moreau, your host Mason's canine. We have now taken control of the Son of a Ginger, now titled Dog of a Ginger podcast, so we can talk about our new favorite movie, The Isle of Dogs. With the aid of a translator, all barks have been rendered into English. We will also be using ourselves in the first person to refer to the opinions of our owners. And if we say our names in the first person, we are referring to the opinions of your normal hosts, Patrick and Mason. Yes, we are. Anyway, let's get down to the nitty-gritty and get this show on the road. Question numero uno. Oh, sorry, wrong show. But Atticus, Isle of Dogs. Yes, Amanda. I enjoyed the movie. This was released in March 2018, directed by the quirky and good Wes Anderson, uh, also written by him, and then story by him as well, along with his usual suspects, Roman Cop- Coppola, Coppola? Bar- Coppola, Barkala, Jason Schwartzman, and then Kenichi Nomura, who is also in the voice cast as Mayor Kobayashi. And this film was... Uh, first released in limited release. I think it was only at the Regal Terra in Georgia for a few weeks before it's now in any standard theater around here. Mm-hmm. Now in wide release. Took about four years to make. And it's a good old quirky stop-motion Wes Anderson film. The Like the trivia said that he drew inspiration from the Rankin-Bass Christmas special stop-motion animated movies from, I believe they were either the 60s or the 70s. 60s, um, 70s, maybe 50s? No, they, they were 60s or 70s because the reason I watched them is because my mom watched them growing up. Of course, of course. I definitely, like, it definitely did, it, it perfectly captured this sort of, like, childlike whimsy of those old movies. You know, like, it it definitely felt like the um, the tone of, of those movies and uh, the aesthetic was sort of brought forward into 2018. Yeah, like the way some of like their heads moved, some of their reactions mm-hmm. in their animated faces. Oh yeah, I would say reminded me of those yeah, those old little Christmas shorts. Wes Anderson's trademarks added in, of course. Yeah, like, you know, the good old the good old camera compositions, everything's very symmetrical. Symmetric and even. Yeah, so it looked a lot like it. I don't know, something about this film and I just can't put my put my paw on it. And hopefully we can as we keep speaking about it. But I like this movie, but there's just something about it. I'm like, eh, I've seen better Wes Anderson films. Uh, I de- yeah, I definitely felt the same way. I really enjoyed the movie, but his backlog of movies is so impeccable that I feel like it's just like Tarantino syndrome where it just becomes equally or it becomes increasingly harder to make a good movie when you know that they're going to be compared to the ones you made previously. It's hard to fall into that trap of, if your next movie is not better than your previous one, then people might think it's bad. Yeah. And that's that's why people think the Star Wars prequels are shit. Because they weren't nearly as good as the originals, but, like, in my opinion, they're still fun movies, and they still have merit. It's not like they're the room. 
Completely. Yeah, like we were talking about this the other day, like those pod racing scenes in episode one, which is regarded as a really, like people will say it's the worst Star Wars movie, but those pod races, like you've said, those are fun to watch, right? And the Duel of the Fates fight scene in episode one is super bark-ass. And I agree, like the compare, like because you're comparing it to a a successful director's work, that's where you could say this movie's Like, okay, you're saying all these movies are... Nine out of tens, and this movie's a seven out of ten. It's like mm-hmm. still a good, that's a, still a passing grade, you know. Exactly. But yeah, let's talk about this film and figure out why maybe why it wasn't maybe of Wes Anderson's top films. So this was an adventure film. I guess I'd say you know mm-hmm. a lot of the Wes Anderson films could be like adventures, also heists. This one has those heist elements. I think there's less in them though. It shares a lot with uh, Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah, because the, you know, it, in the same way, Moonrise Kingdom is about a little a little community on a, on a remote island outside of like Rhode Island or something, and it's about two kids who are upset about their situation, so they run away. So, like in the same in the same vein, this kid is upset about something that has happened, and he's deciding to run away and do something about it. Uh, so you you see those those themes sort of uh weave their way through Wes Anderson movies. And that something is to uh, find his dog who is abandoned on Trash Island. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the background of why there is this Isle of Dogs is that there's a, multiple cases of uh, dog flu and snout fever that left the population of Japan sick and terribly off and uh, the this fictional city of Japan Fictional city, but the fictionalized world in the story. Megasaki. And Megasaki also had a history of not liking dogs very much in general. We had a nice prologue of why Megasaki has uh, a bad view of dogs and that a lot roam free and then the emperor liked cats. Anyway, fast forward years years and years later and now dogs have snout fever and the same line of that emperor that banished all those dogs now banishes the dogs again to Trash Island and quarantines them off so the population doesn't get sick. All these dogs aren't off very well, and then our hero, Atari, goes in and tries to find his dog, Spots, the first dog that was set off. And also we're now going to dip into spoiler territory as we continue to talk. Mm-hmm. But that's that's the basis of kind of how we get onto this Isle of Dogs, and now we're on the Isle, and we see our quintet of dogs in your Rex, your King, your Boss, your Duke, and yes. and Chief, played by Brian Cranston. Very good voice performance, by the way. Yes, and then also little known fact. Little known fact. Uh, the last time Brian Cranston did a voice performance was for the original run of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Well, good to know. But yeah, so Brian Cranston uh, stars as Chief, and then you know we have a voice cast of some other usual suspects in Wes Anderson movies. Yeah, uh, Bob Balaban as King, Edward Norton as Rex, Bill Murray, who has been I think in everyone since Rushmore, he is Boss, Jeff Goldblum is Duke, and many other that we'll we'll get to. Uh, Scarlett Johansson is Nutmeg, a girl dog, a girl dog. Um, so yeah, it's a very talented voice cast, and you know, Lev, Lev Schreiber, as you said, uh, Greta Gerwig is in this as well. Yoko Ono, what? Yeah, Yoko's Where in. Does this. She play. She plays Yoko Ono, Assi- assistant scientist Yoko Ono is the character's name in the film. Oh, it's it's the woman who's taking the shots. Yes, 
I didn't realize her name was Yoko Ono. Yes, so John Lennon's widow, Yoko Ono, is in this film. Well, her husband also dies in the, in the movie. Spoilers, Mason. He's assassinated. We already said spoilers. I'm just saying in general. My though. name's Atticus. Very talented voice cast for a fun, cute little story, cute little adventure. But did you enjoy the adventure? Did you feel like you went on an adventure seeing this movie? Yeah. I I felt like I went on an adventure, but like, you know, it is one of those movies where you can tell how the plot is going to unfold. You already see it from a mile away. Yeah. You like you see the trailer and you're yeah. like, "Okay, this kid's going to find his dog." And they're going to get the dogs back into Japan, and he's going to be the hero at the end because that's yeah, that's sort of you know animated movies with some exceptions really sort of do have that simple story structure to them. Yeah, a lot of times. And I, I would say this is still adult animation because like, yeah, th- like this isn't at all made for kids. You know, it's a Wes Anderson movie that is animated. Maybe you could watch show this to your uh, ten to twelve year old if they know how to differentiate between some stuff. You know, this is an adult animated film. Yeah, I think I think a lot of the humor and a lot of the imagery would would really fly over kids' heads. I would say, yeah, you could see what was coming from a mile away. To gloss over some plot points, what happens is, yeah, so we meet Chief and his his crew and Merry Band of uh, newly stray dogs. Yeah, newly stray dog. Oh, he's the only stray dog chief. While oh, yeah. I, everyone okay. else was, was a, uh, you know, very domesticated. They were house dogs, uh, but they're they're the alphas. They get the food. They hang out. You know, then then Atari, this little boy, crashes with his plane. Tells them his dog Spots is gone. They try to find him. Find out that one of the dogs that they thought was him is not him. And then they go on a bigger and bigger search and learn about themselves along the way. One big thing that we learn is that Brian Cranston's chief, uh, once he gets washed, looks a lot like Spots. Is he Spots? No. But it's fun to think that for two seconds. Yeah, it's just fun to think that way until they tell you you're an idiot and you're wrong. Yeah, because Spots has a black nose, or Spots has a pink nose, and Chief and has chief a black has a nose. has a black nose. So, come on, guys. That's the big difference there. But they both have some cute little spots. And yeah, so then they finally, you know, they go on a big adventure. I don't, I couldn't tell you the adventure though. I don't really remember what they do up until they get to spots. They hit some obstacles there. You know, there's, there are, there's a B plot and a C plot. Also. Yes, there is. Yeah. So like it, it, it's, it jumps around. So it's not always following these okay, dogs. Okay. Yeah, you're right. And so, so like that, that is, uh, that might sort of be why you're not immediately recalling the adventure itself because there were two other things happening while that was yeah. happening. So. And for, for brevity's sake, uh, so they, they do some stuff. They find spots. And yeah, like those B and C plots is that there's a, there's a nice student activist played by Greta Gerwig who plays Tracy Walker. And she wants to help help Atari and help get the cure and get the dogs back on the island. Another plot is that Kobayashi is really ready to gas all those dogs on trash island while uh there's a scientist while a scientist actually finds that there is a cure and has cured it and Kobayashi's like nah I hate dogs we're gonna it's not Isla dogs for him it's Isla hate dogs mm. which <laughs> uh which is a nice segue into what I thought was the most amazing piece of like 30 seconds of stop stop motion animation i think i'd seen outside of uh kubo and the two strings 
which was the sushi scene where the uh, chef, the sushi sushi man, puts a little piece of poison into the scientist's sushi to assassinate him. But they have this beautiful like montage of this man preparing the sushi. Or it's not even a montage, it's one shot. Yeah, it's one shot. It reminded me a mix of if like a tasty video on yeah. on Facebook was being made but then, you know, but then was animated and then the very nice symmetrical Wes Anderson style. And a very vibrant color palette and uh, some quirky humor there. Like when he chops off the fish's head, the mouth is still moving a little bit. Just yeah. like a little bit. Also, so here's another thing. There are some shockingly very like morbid parts of this movie. This was an oddly morbid film. Yeah, yes. there, there's like there's some weird like gory parts. Like oh, dude, yeah, like the first scene, like they rip a dog's ear off, right? Yeah. And you see it like just quiver a little bit, and I'm like, what? What just happened? Did they rip off an ear? Like you see the blood and yeah. everything. You, it's a lost appendage. Animate it out for however many frames. And then you see, uh, you, you like, there's a scene of a kidney transplant. Yes, that's there like, is. That's, like, very detailed surgery. Like we said, because this is adult animation, Wes Anderson kind of, you know, has that liberty in his PG-13 rating to make things a little bit more gory and more strange and fun and then maybe do some stuff that he would be tough to shoot in the, maybe a live-action mm-hmm. scene or sequence. Most definitely. Uh, having said that, though, I mean, I'm sure this movie was very hard to make. Yeah, like I mean, I think this movie took four years. They used wool hair. It is tied to be this the the longest stop motion film tied with Kubo and the Two Strings. It's I think both of those are only like two minutes longer than Coraline. Mm-hmm. All excellent stop motion films that have come out in the last ten or so years. Yeah, so like this this movie had some cool moments and cool shots, and I think are good to show. You know, in like a film school or something, something to study. Uh, there's a lot of shots that I liked where the frame was like unbalanced. Like it was just one character popping his or her head up, and it's, I think it was usually on left of frame mm-hmm. up close, and then sometimes like the other dogs would be like behind listening. That was cool. That, like, that was just a recurring thing that uh, they did without the film. I liked how those were composed Mm -hmm. and that was that like there are many scenes where it's it's essentially like an over the shoulder sort of three camera setup right Mm -hmm. chief and atari are having a conversation or some some two dogs are having a conversation and the the rest of them are in the back and you can still see that they're they're moving their ears are moving and uh you know they're sneezing in the background and you know like that that whole thing or the fact that like the fact that they had to animate what's happening in the foreground and then also take the time to have there be action in the background is very impressive. Oh, and then yeah, the other thing that I liked throughout is so like Wes Anderson is quirky in general and he mm-hmm. all of his films are quirky. I liked some of the quirks that he introduced in this film. The sneezes were really funny. Like, they just had snout fever. Right, yeah. So and they, so sometimes there'd be, just be a sneeze that they would throw in. Every oh. dog casually sneezes and nobody really pays any mind to yeah. it. Yeah, and I think I just did a little, like, no- nostril laugh the entire time in the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and then the other funny thing, like, Jeff Goldblum, you know, he wasn't in this film very much. I think I read that 
uh, his character, like he actually just like fo- like he phoned it in, not but phoned it in, but not necessarily phoned it in. Yeah, he recorded his lines uh, over the phone. Yeah, yeah, he read his lines over the phone and sent the audio file over. Yeah, so I thought that was Hilarious. fun. But like, uh, my favorite thing was just the. Did you hear a rumor about this? Have you heard the rumor? Have you heard the rumor? And sometimes they would like mention a rumor, like immediately after like interacting with a character, like uh, making up a character. Bobby the dog shows up and says, tells them something, and then Bobby the dog leaves. And then, did you hear the rumor about Bobby the dog? What? 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 <laughs> what? 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 That was funny. I yeah, like I, I like that gag. It was a good gag. Every dog had like a little quirk. Mm-hmm. Like they each had their little uh, archetype. So the one's a gossipy dog. The other one is was like used to be famous. One's like really smart and sort of a leader, even though they say that they're a democracy and so they always take a vote. Uh, what was Bill Murray's dogs? Bill Murray. Shtick? Bill Murray was a sports team mascot. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So two of them were famous. One was the face of the dog food brand, and the other was a sports mascot. Yeah. I also d- really don't remember which one Bob Balaban was. He was King. king. Uh, yeah. I think maybe King was that one. The one the, that looked the one slightly for the, different than the others. Yeah. But also Bob Balaban is a very generic character. I also actor. don't even know yeah, who he is. He's yeah. been another thing. Like I think he was in like the last two or so Wes Anderson uh, films. Uh, he he seems like a nice uncle, older guy, uh, bald, glasses, kind of small face. Seems like either a nice uncle or n- like a good librarian, maybe. So Pat, I want to talk to you about my two favorite characters, which were Oracle and Jupiter. Which were uh, Tilda Swinton was Oracle, F. Murray Abraham was Jupiter. Specifically, Oracle. I thought that that character was so funny because all these dogs believe that she has like psychic powers because she can just tell what's going on on TV. And she yeah, she just watches TV, and that's her psychic powers. Yeah, you know, it, it's basically like a characterization of a dog you would see in like a YouTube video or something watching TV all the time. Oh, and then I love that it was a pug because yeah. pugs are some of the funniest dogs to me. Yeah, they're really derpy. And it like the fact that they call it Oracle, like like she's some sort of wise dog. It was, it, it was just funny. Like the fact, the fact this little dinky dog is called Oracle. Oh yeah, because yeah, pugs are doofy, but this is the wise dog that can see and tell all. Yeah, I agree. Oracle, I think, was one of my favorite uh, recurrent recurring gags yeah so this movie had a lot of gags and it was a fun one to watch some of them fell flat though some f- like, well, a, which ones fell flat to you uh there's a part where chief is sort of having a they're having a serious conversation the dogs and then chief they're on a golf course and chief is all of a sudden just like oh you have a bug on your nose and he bites it and spits it into the hole in the golf course and i felt like that joke fell flat because it just sort of cut the dialogue so, you know like it wasn't funny enough to justify hitting pause on what they were talking about that's true i mean and i think that sometimes happens at least that happened i think in the dialogue of this film but i think i've seen that in dialogue of other films of wes anderson's and that they will yeah. be talking about something and then they stop because something else is happening in the background but usually that's like a more important plot thing but yeah it was just it was just a, a fly on the dog's nose. But I think that they do that to characterize dogs have spotty attention spans right, yeah. and continue to play up the comedy that dogs have spotty attention spans. 
they'll now pay attention to something so trivial and unimportant. Because I think what right before they were like talking about their plan or their past, one or the other, something serious, something serious, and then cut it in with some attempted comic relief. I think there were definitely a good bit of gags. Some fell flat, some didn't. But here's the thing: the ones that didn't fall flat, I wouldn't say they were memorable. And me thinking this movie has been ruined because they tried to make me laugh here, and then I yeah. still I still did a. A sniffle, sniffle laugh that it was kind of funny. Um, the jokes were never contrived. They never seemed like they were contrived, but some of them just didn't work to me. Uh, and it, it was few and far between. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a decent amount of the jokes that were uh, being do- like. Most of it was funny. Yeah, you know, I, I'd say a good bit of it was was spot on. Wes it was Anderson funny th- humor. Oh, and here's here's another bit I did like, which was with Scarlett Johansson's character. Mm-hmm. As oh, as yeah. nutmeg, I thought it was really funny whenever like she and Brian Cranston would talk, and then she was, was like, "Oh yeah, I was a show dog," and just imagine me juggling these uh, three or these ten f- flaming bowling pins upside down, and then he's like, "Oh okay," and then he sees it. I don't know. That was that was a mix of fun, cute. Yeah, it, they have that little dream bubble because he's imagining her doing this like dance. Yeah. Also, I th- maybe I personally think that's funny because in my first student short film at Georgia, we did a bit like that, and it was fun. <laughs> okay. Nice. Very nice. Where a character needed an EpiPen, and then the dumb stoner thought Epic Pen, and then he did a thought bubble, and then he was writing something with a giant pen. Oh, awesome! It was a great gag for a. A fun beginning sh- student short film. Do you is that online anywhere? Do you want to tell? Uh, yeah, I think it's on YouTube under my uh, professor's uh, YouTube page. Um, Very nice. Yeah, and I think I have it linked on somewhere else. You know, you you listeners ask me for it, and I'll send it to you. But I'm not gonna have you scour the internet for it. But it's titled Paper Cuts. Anyway, a little self promotion right there. Awesome. <laughs> Uh, but uh, so so a good bit of gags. Um, I guess I'd say it was a fun ending. Yeah, it was certainly a fun ending, predictable ending. It's honestly the ending is a lot like Zoolander. Elaborate. Uh, well, the the main characters have a plot to sort of foil, um, to foil this big show, right? And then. All of the characters from the whole movie that have been out and about on their own little adventures all converge in this one room. And then the day gets saved. And then, Matilda, we have the files in the computer. Throw it down. That was my, it got better, my bad Owen Wilson impression. (laughs) Hey, Matilda. Wow. 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 Also, one uh, one of the few Wes Anderson movies without Owen Wilson. Yeah, one of the few. One um, of the few. That like this and I think Moonrise Kingdom, right? Yeah. And you know, we we skim through it. We do meet a couple of characters along the way and towards the end and one of them is that missing dog spots played by Le- right. Liam Schreiber and we are led to believe that he's not dead and then that's where their adventure uh leads them on to. And then we do finally find him uh with his pack of uh aboriginal dogs. He saves a day in a deus ex machina moment where you find out that he has explosive teeth. Yes. 
explosive government issued teeth. Yeah. That was also kind of a fun gag. That was funny. Yeah. He just like spits his teeth and yeah. they are little grenades. Another quirk. Being quirky with Zoe Nishanel. Yeah, <laughs> SNL. We're just throwing in lots of references to right, that. Yeah. But then he says that he has a family and then he can't fulfill the mission, but you can, Chief Brian Cranston. You can do it all. You're not some lost stray dog. You just lost your way, and you can save the day. Mm. How do you feel about that, Mason? Well, okay, so the character of Spots was very... One of two like glaring problems I had with this movie. They basically spend the time to say, like, Spots is this kid's ride-or-die homie. Like, he... He has been by his side. Yeah, he's been his, been by his side right after his parents died, and he ended up having to go into the uh, protection of this guy who's trying to get rid of dogs, Kobayashi. Kobayashi. Yeah. There's a part where Atari and Chief, the, the one dog who really doesn't like humans, have to split off, and they end up bonding. And Atari washes him, and that's when you find out he's he's actually a... A brother of spots. A brother of spots. They finally get to spots, and spots is like, "Oh no, I've I've moved on. I've found I have a family now, and I am sorry, but uh, the world is much bigger than our relationship or whatever." And like it, I think there's there's like a question that gets asked in the movie is like, "Whatever happened to man's best friend or whatever?" Mm-hmm. And it wasn't in the context of that conversation, but it was sort of contradictory to the message of the movie. So they just try to sort of shoehorn Chief in as the spots replacement, without there really being any sort of like Atari's like he he kind of just goes with the flow. Yeah, Atari was just like whatever. He was okay, like, "Yeah, I- I'll just have this dog instead of." this one i miss you my ride or die dog but hey this one kind of looks like you maybe i'll paint his nose pink and then it'll all be good now cool great i stole a plane and had a piece of metal embedded into my skull come and rescue you and now you're like no woof off i've got a family and you're you don't mean anything to me anymore the movie doesn't really do a good job at helping you accept this change however could you think like Maybe Wes Anderson was suggesting it, or maybe it's something that we can take away from that if your dog is lost, or if you lost a loved one, even, that you need to move on, and especially maybe with like a dog, that this dog is similar and has helped you and has been with you in a new way. Can that dog be your new dog? You're, you're certainly right. Uh, but I I can't think of any anything from the movie that sort of pointed the the message in that direction. I feel like some film interpretation in general, you kind of have to pull something from nothing to make it mean something for you, right? Yeah, I mean, Ma- and maybe that's what he meant to allude to. And you know, it, it's a lot of animating, a lot of dialogue, and maybe he wanted that in another scene, and they didn't have the time or money to film it. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you're certainly right about that, and you know, speculation and and uh, you know, deriving meaning from. Uh, films that I've seen, personal meaning, is is one of my favorite thing about watching movies. But I just didn't. I just I felt like it was unwarranted. Like all of these, all of these dogs put themselves. All of these dogs and this kid put himself in harm's way to go get this dog. If Spots had died, like if if he had come back in a last ditch effort to show his obedience to Atari. 
he sacrificed himself to let them escape or something like that, mm-hmm. right? That would have been much more emotional. Maybe would have conveyed that message of you sort of need you need to move on, let the past be the past, use the present to build into your future or whatever. You know, like... Yeah, that's all fair. Yeah, so... I think having seen Spots die or have some sort of some some sort of thing happen aside from him just saying like I don't want to be your dog anymore. You think it could have been a little bit more deserved and something that could have been a bit more realistic than yeah. just I don't want to be your dog anymore. Some kind of active active god or active circumstance to make Spots actually actually go away. Mm-hmm. Instead of well I mean, and then that circumstance existed, but now they've returned, and it's almost like Spots is like, hey, I thought this was going to be the end. I thought me going to Trash Island was where this loyalty ended. Yeah. You're not my, you're not necessarily my owner anymore, even though I'm said to be dedicated to you. Yeah. And you, you could argue that, uh, that an emotional uh, turning point like that would not fit the tone of the movie. But yeah. I feel like the movie itself was emotional enough up until that point. Because mm-hmm. they had already made the viewer think that Spots was dead. Yeah, and then yeah. then Homeboy finally shows up. Yeah, so... Uh, so Spot, Spots good. Meh. Mm-hmm. I think I understand where Spots is coming from. Uh, I think Chief... I understand how he got the way he was. I think they could have done a hair more developing over on their side and their A plot that I don't think we got because we mm-hmm. were focused on, on some other B and C plots, like you said. Yeah. So we talked about that problem, and I think we both need to discuss the other big problem that was in this film before it was released in that the whole cu- cultural appropriation discussion. Right. Wes Anderson culturally appropriating Japanese culture. Some say that he used it as you know, a punchline now and then, uh, how do you feel that, do you think he kind of showed the proper respect of Japanese culture in this film? Or do you think he kind of is white man taking something from the people? I definitely don't think that it's a, a white person trying to steal Japanese culture from Japanese people, uh, which is like sort of sort of what, calling something cultural appropriation has really become of just like hey just this saying like hey uh these people are taking what's traditionally been done in our culture and making it part of theirs is that right one could argue no i feel like this movie is very respectful yeah to to japanese culture and you said it yourself one of the writers himself is japanese and i'm sure one of the reasons they had him on the writing staff is to make sure that they're they're hitting these beats and accurately depicting a japanese culture and i think the fact in and of itself the fact that the characters speak japanese the japanese characters speak japanese the english characters speak english and there's no uh there's no appropriating the language the argument should stop at seeing the fact that you that he decided not to have these characters speak english when he easily could have and it probably would have been easier to animate all the characters like the japanese speaking characters spoke japanese there were little subtitles for them Mm-hmm. I like at parts of the movie. I was like, "Damn, I wish I spoke Japanese." 
And so, and to to play devil, because I agree with you, Mason, but to play devil's advocate a little bit, some people thought that, okay, well, because uh, the Japanese characters, you can't understand what they're saying, do they actually have a voice, this, that, or this? Mm-hmm. And I think they do, but however, we're kind of seeing this film in the dog's perspective. And now the other thing that all the naysayers have been saying is, well, okay, well, why why are all the dogs, why are all the dogs American actors? Uh, what's what's happening about that? Huh? Exactly. And again, I, I think something to not get mad about because we're watching the English dubbed version. There's going to be a Japanese dubbed version where it's going to be Japanese speaking actors, probably from Japan. There's a French one with French speaking actors from from France, and so on. And so, except for Greta Gerwig, that's another fun fact I read because she speaks fluent French, so she huh. Frenched her character. It's interesting that you bring that up because it is a cool sort of way to have you or have the viewer relate to the dogs because dogs can't tell what humans are saying. Yeah, so, exactly. You know, like, so the fact that, you know, 90% of the human characters in this movie are speaking a language that you don't understand sort of puts you on the dog level. You know? Yeah. Or the, at least the level of the, the protagonists. Yeah. So like so he used the the, lang- the the language barrier as a way to do that for us American audiences. So I can see why some the naysayers would get mad about it. I don't think they should get mad about it. I think that's a fun creative choice. I think there are definitely bigger fish to fry. Yeah. Uh if you're going to get mad or if you're going to call Isle of Dogs cultural appropriation then you got you should also call up Crunchyroll and tell them to take up take off all of their all of their dubbed anime. What is Crunchyroll? Crunchyroll is like Netflix for anime. You know, they they have all of Naruto Shippuden, right? And they have it in subbed and dubbed. So mm. you can watch either. If you, like the fact that the people that we're getting American actors to play these voices and you know many would argue myself included that watching it subbed is much better because the Japanese voice actors are just better at voicing this anime dialogue than the Americans are. You can't pick and choose. It's hypocritical and I think that uh that cultural appropriation definitely is something that needs to be talked about and it's it's definitely a conversation that we need to have as a society is what is okay understand and participate in when it comes to cultures and uh what it what is really off limits. Yeah. And accusing a lighthearted fun movie that's going to bring joy to so many people of something like that is just to me it it invalidates any sort of argument that a group who's advocating for more uh it, it for in, less cultural appropriation it, yeah it dampens a good progressive argument if that argument is going to be made for something that actually is really really culturally appropriating something right. in a negative way if we look at the maybe the oxford uh the Oxford Dictionary definition of cultural or appropriation, maybe this does it, but I don't think it does it in a negative way. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's the that's the best thing of creating something is that, and also it's kind of a hair American in general of that Wes Anderson saw a culture and sees Japan of something that he admires. He looks and researches to respectfully make a film about it hires a Japanese writer writer and actor to help him with it. And then I think they make a respectful form of media. Exactly. And I I yeah, respectful is is I've guessed the highest praise you could give it in terms of 
its its depiction of the culture because you know we see all of these american movies where the writer has written a character they cast an asian actor to play the character casting has become more diverse yeah you know, i'm not i'm i'm not saying that uh asian actors didn't earn their parts yeah but hollywood has been more and more proactive in casting asian actors in things because they want to appeal to foreign markets oh yeah and i feel like this movie is such a beautiful it's more than just an attempt to appeal at foreign markets it's it's a blend of what makes japanese art and culture great from an american's perspective yeah you know so like i feel like maybe japanese people will watch this and and be more drawn toward the more American qualities of the movie. Yeah, because like like uh, I'll see some other foreign films and like notice. Okay, I see how this is different from how we as Americans make films, and I appreciate I appreciate this in German film. I appreciate this in Korean film. Uh, oh, it's all like a good uh, Saudi or where was it from? It was called Crash, or the American term was Crash, and it was like this kind of bottle episode film group of people stuck in a bus during the Arab Spring. Yeah. So there and I believe these characters were in Egypt where I think Qaddafi is from. Like I kind of learned how those films worked and stuff like that. I don't think mm. I've seen an Egyptian film before. Um but yeah, kind of understanding seeing how like different forms of cinema are. Uh, yeah. So to pin this, I think this was a this film was a good blend of American and Japanese cinema. Mhm. They yeah. they use some good beats from both. I think it respectfully and artfully blends uh, filmmaking practices from from both cultures and should not be avoided or docked. The controversy around Peter Rabbit was more understandable than the controversy around this movie. Oh, completely. And to catch our uh, listeners up, uh, people were very mad about Peter Rabbit because uh, the animals try to get the villain uh, sick by throwing some blackberries in his mouth and he's allergic to blackberries. And uh, the allergy community was very angry. There were lots of moms who were like, I'm not going to take my kid to see this because he has a peanut allergy. Like, you're teaching kids to pull pranks on their friends with serious allergies. And hey, that, that, was, more, that was definitely more deserved than the anger of this film. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, to put it in, I think this was a good, this was a good blend of both. Um, mm-hmm. Before we go, though, Mason, uh, would you say this is... How does this rank among uh, some stop-motion animated films that you've seen either a few years ago or, you know, a while ago as a kid? I really love stop-motion. I'm not, like, a uh, an aficionado. You know, I'm, I'm, like, I don't seek it out all the time. I don't sit down and, like, analyze it frame by frame and understand how the practice works, although I do do, like, surface-level research because it, it just fascinates me. Oh, it's stop, cool. Yeah, stop-motion animation fascinates me, and... Uh, the fact that it's kept alive so long, it's it's honestly like it, the film versus digital argument, yeah. you know, for for animation's sake. And there's something and, way more fun and tactile about stop motion, you think? And it's much more of a feat. It's like it's like the pyramids versus looking at the Burj Khalifa, right? You know, the Burj Khalifa. It's a it's a modern architectural marvel. It's the tallest building in the world. And uh, it's beautiful to look at. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you look at the Great Pyramids and you realize that those were built by slaves 
that were literally carrying those rocks on their back. on their backs and laying them down. The fact that you can understand the work and the artistry that went into this movie is really awesome. I think Kubo and the Two Strings is probably my favorite uh, stop-motion animated movie when it comes to technical prowess. Mm -hmm. Nightmare Before Christmas is probably my favorite stop-motion movie out of fandom for that movie just because I, I, I think I, I'd say that as well and I grew I up watching it that was the first you know I think big one that I saw as a kid that I admired myself mm -hmm. I think we mentioned it earlier earlier Coraline I think was also one of the cooler ones I think I've seen I tried to watch Coraline when I was a kid but I fell asleep here's the thing it's a trippy and scary movie yeah I, I heard that it was pretty uh dark mm -hmm. but, but I'm trying to think of some dark. other stop-motion movies i've seen i mean the rankin bass movies I grew up watching those like those are classics yeah isle of dogs is definitely like a very very impressive movie and it's um you know seeing a stop-motion movie is always a brush breath of fresh air but yeah i don't like i don't know where it would rank but i definitely would say it's it's a very very well-made stop-motion movie and you can tell that there's a lot of i think what makes a good stop-motion movie right whether or not you can tell that the people who made it love what they're doing. Because you have to love what you're doing to be willing to put in that much time and effort to make that thing. That That's what's so great about stop motion movies is that, that it translates that so well. That the people who made this care about what they're showing you and meticulously made it that way in a very difficult process if that's a litmus test for a good stop motion movie then isle of dogs passes with flying colors definitely but story-wise as a film in general how do you feel uh it's not as best i think grand budapest i'll say i think miss fantastic mr fox was better i haven't seen it ah so yeah but here i haven't seen kuba and the two strings so we're even okay. um it's on netflix you should totally watch it i totally should I had fun with Fantastic Mr. Fox. Maybe I just liked the heist aspect. And then I also watched George Clooney in uh, Ocean's Eleven, I think, the week or so before. So that's still familiar to me. Yeah, it was, it's a solid film. I think I gave it like a 7 out of 10. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it's technically satisfactory, a fun enough story. It could be better. I think pacing it should have been a hair faster. Some things, I think, now thinking about it, some things just seemed... They moved slower for no reason. Yeah. And maybe that's just not the editor in me now mm -hmm. all, with all my different hats. So solid film, I think could have been shorter. Fun story. Liked, I did like all the different plot points and like the different A, B, C plots. Yeah. They were all entertaining. Very I was entertained. I was still yeah, entertained. Like, I wish I went in with with more energy, knowing, hey, this is a Wes Anderson film. There's going to be some fun, odd quirks. I and maybe going in, I just wasn't in that mindset. I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I would, like. I think if I had to put a number on this on this movie, it would probably be a seven and a half. Certainly passable. Definitely entertaining. Has some very impressive qualities. Has some parts that are ultimately forgettable, but for the most part, I left the theater happy. I left. It's not one of those movies where you leave and you it just completely leaves your mind. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not one of those sit down and drool into your popcorn bucket for two hours and then leave. I'm going to be honest. I think I like movies more if I'm eating popcorn. I didn't have <laughs> popcorn in this movie. Really? Yeah. Did you give Patrick gets crank... Amanda gets cranky when he doesn't have his popcorn? I guess so. 
But I also like movie pass. Like I go in with movie pass, and then like I still pay the eight dollars, ten dollars for popcorn, and then I'm like, well, what money did I save? I just paid for popcorn. I need to carry a large well, you bag. Save the money on the ticket. I need to carry a large bag with my popcorn in there. That's what I need to do. I need to carry a small microwave with unpopped popcorn, pop it in the theater, and then yeah. offer some and make friends. What if we developed a jacket that? had like a secret compartment it had like warming microwave pads or something like you know those hand warmer things just yes. get some of those crank them up to 11 and stick them in this thing of they're in this like in these sleeves in your jacket and then stick a sleeve of popcorn in there just let it pop or no put it on your back and then you get like a little back massage well i How's hope th- the producers of shark tank are listening to our podcast because i think we just made a million dollar idea Billion dollar. Billion. Billion. So, with that being said, this is a fun film. This is a fun film to watch. We were barking the whole way through, or at least Patrick and Mason told us later in our in our dog beds afterwards, and it was a good time. Yeah, they talk to us way too much. Yeah, they really do. Like, very insecure men. That's why I'm glad they started doing this podcast, because... They have a place to talk other side they're aside from their dog. They're at least talking to each other. They're talking to another human. Like, goodness gracious. Anyway, we hope this translation worked for you. See Isle of Dogs. We recommend it. It's a good old doggin' movie. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, I am Amanda Baylor, owned by your normal host, Patrick Baylor. And I am Atticus Moreau, dog of your former host, Mason Moreau. Former. So Former... Former for this episode. So like I'm coming not, back. So like I'm not signed on for the next episode. Is the next episode gonna be Patrick and Atticus? Uh I don't know. We're gonna find out. So <laughs> we'll get those deal memos in and you guys get some movie watching in and we'll talk to y'all next time. Woof! <laughs>